be with you this morning. Uh, Y'all here on a holiday weekend, you must really love Jesus. So that's awesome. Good to be with you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, we are going to continue on today in our verse-by-verse sermon series through the New Testament book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to go a long way today. We're going through verse 8. So verses 7 and 8 this morning, if you've been following along, we're still walking through these opening remarks, opening comments from Paul. And it really sets the stage for where he's going to go uh, in the rest of his letter here. So Philippians chapter 1, as you are turning there, um, Mila, our, our youngest, uh, she is, is just a high extrovert right now. Apparently she is just wanting to be friends with anybody and everybody that she sees. So we're going through like grocery stores or wherever we are and she will just wave and talk to everybody. And what she'll do is she'll say, they'll walk by and she'll go, that's my friend. That's my friend. I'm like, no, sweetie, that's a stranger. We have no idea who that is. Don't know. But she's just like, no, I said hi, they're my friend, and now we're, we're best friends. Like, that's just in her mind. She's just friends with everybody. We were at the pool this week after school one day, and uh, this family that we've gotten to know a little bit uh, came, and they have a daughter who's a little bit older than Milo. And as soon as they got there, Milo's like, oh, my friend's here. My friend's here. I, she go play with me. She play with me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, sweetie. Like, she's here with her mom, and I don't know if she wants to play. Like, they're over there, like, practicing swimming. I don't know. She's like, no, she's here to play with me. And she's just like, she's in her little floating. She just teeters on over there and just starts hanging out with this, this girl. She's like, this is my friend, and I'm here. She's here to play with me. Uh, well, earlier this week, we went to Home Depot as a family. We had to get some stuff, and we were out and about, and we are like, all right, let's just all go. And of course, Mila's doing her thing, talking to everybody, saying hi to everybody. Everybody's her friend. And uh, we go to the place where you check out, you know, the, the self-checkout, and there's always a, an employee there working and helping everybody out who's, who's checking out. So we get there, and it's this nice lady. Uh, she's real sweet. She's chatting us up and talking with her kids and saying how sweet they are and how nice they are and how cute they are. And she sees Mila. She's like, oh, she's so sweet. And Mila's like, hi, you're my friend, my friend. And the lady's like, oh, yes, we're friends. Oh, you're so sweet. You want to come home with me? And all of a sudden, Mila's face changed. It was a smile. It was happy. And all of a sudden, she's like, No, no, we've crossed the line here. This was just, you know, informal, how you doing, acquaintance type stuff. You're my friend from a distance kind of thing. And this lady was like, oh, you want to come home? And she's like, no, 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 I'm out. I'm out. And she like had this look of fear and Kendra and I were like, oh no, sweetie, she's just kidding. The lady like noticed, she's like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm scaring your child over here. We're like, no, it's fine. But seriously, back away. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So she's friends with everybody, right? Just high extrovert, friends with everybody. And and what we're seeing here in these early remarks from Paul is really the the level of friendship that he has with the Philippians. Like it it is a deep relationship, deep friendship that they have with one another. So let's continue to see how this develops here in our verses today. So starting in verse 7, it says this, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus." So here again, we're seeing Paul express his, his deep love and gratitude and relationship that he has with the Philippians. And he uses an interesting word here in verse 7, and he did it again in verse 5 that we saw last week. He calls him in verse 7, partners with me in grace. And we saw last week in, in verse 5 that he refers to their partnership in the gospel. 
And both words there that we see as partnership and partner, they are both versions of the Greek word koinonia. Has anybody heard that, that word at all anytime you've been in church? Koinonia. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard somebody like me get up and talk about koinonia, right? We love talking about koinonia in the Bible, in the church. And it's a, it's a word that's used throughout our New Testament, throughout our scriptures. And it really refers to this, this deep, close relationship that we can have with one another. And in particular with this word, it's a word that's based on, this deep relationship is based on, you know, whether it's some kind of commonality, whether it's common interests, common beliefs, common pursuit of a goal or something. There, there is something in common. There's a sharing with one another involved in this kind of relationship. And again, this word is used throughout our New Testament. It's used in a lot of ways to refer to the relationships that we are to have with one another inside the church. Our relationships are to be koinonia. They're, they're to be a close, personal relationship, deep relationship with one another. So when you see this mentioned in scripture, you'll see it mentioned as fellowship. You know, you see that word translated in your Bible as fellowship. That, that's koinonia. That's as deep personal relationships that we are to have with one another in the church. The church is to be characterized by this level of relationship, by koinonia. And so now what we've done, maybe you've been, you know, in churches, like fellowship was the old school word that was using, you've been in church, everybody been in church with a fellowship hall, fellowship hall, that's what they're talking about. The fellowship hall is where you, you have food, right? You have, you have meals, you have events, you have gatherings where you come and you hang out and you get to know each other. Well, well, once we moved into like, you know, the 2000s, like especially early 2000s, it flipped from saying fellowship to community. I don't know what it was about the community word, but like, I feel like every church that was starting in the early 2000s was some type of community church, like something community, something community church, right? I just feel like everything that was popping up was community. We talk about community or fellowship or relationships a lot in the church, and it, it all stems from this idea of koinonia, these deep relationships that we are to have in the church. And here's the thing. We, we talk about community so much that everybody's got their own definitions, and really when we say I have a definition of community, it really means my preferences for community. It's like what I want out of community. Like that tends to be where we go, and, and we'll throw other churchy words out there like doing life together. I, I don't know if you've heard that phrase at all. I hear that a lot. I honestly have no idea what that means. We just kind of say it in the church like, oh, we got to do life together. Like, I don't know what that means. You coming over and hanging out? Like, are we having to sleep over? Like, I don't understand. What are we doing? We roasting marshmallows. We're going on vacation. Like, I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. So we just say these words, but really what, it, what we mean when we say stuff like this is we want these close, deep, personal relationships with them in the church. And that's a good thing. We, we should aim for that. Again, the church is to be characterized by koinonia, by this, this biblical gospel-centered community, these deep relationships with one another. And that's what we see here with, with Paul and the Philippians. They had this kind of koinonia. They had this kind of community. So I think there's a lot that we can learn here from Paul and the Philippian church. So if you're looking for like kind of a main idea of what's going to guide our time today, it's this. It's that the church is to have Koinonia, the church is to have a gospel-centered, committed, biblical community with one another. We are to have this type of community. It's to be one of our goals, one of our aims as a church. And I think there's three things here that we can learn about this type of community, three aspects or characteristics of biblical community that we see here from Paul in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 1. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, first aspect of community that we see here is community begins with love for one another. Community begins with love for one another. 
And this is where, where true community starts. It starts with love. That, that is the, to be the foundation of any kind of community, any kind of deep personal relationship that we can have with anybody. It starts with this. It starts with love. True community begins with love. I mean, just look at some of the language that Paul is using here. I mean, he clearly, deeply loves and cares for the Philippian believers. I mean, it just shows in these opening verses. I mean, he starts out verse 7 saying that it's right for me to think this way about you. Well, that refers to what we saw last week, this expression of gratitude and these prayers that he has for them and this, this assurance that he has for, for how God is working in their lives and in the church. Paul's like, yeah, it's right for me to feel that way about you. This is a good thing. This is the right attitude to have towards one another. That's what he's telling us there. This is right. This is good. This is commendable to think this way about you. And he says, then he says in verse 7, I have you in my heart. The word heart is, in biblical language is, is the center of who we are. It, it's beyond just emotions, right? It's, it's our will. It's who we are as a person. The heart is the center of our identity, of who we are. And Paul's saying, I, I've got you right here in my heart. That's how close he is to the Philippians. That's how much he cares about the Philippians. Like maybe some of y'all are high extroverts like my daughter, and you're just friends with everybody. But even if, if you're a high extrovert or a little bit more introverted like I am, we, we have, there's different levels of friendships, right? Like you're, you're really close with just a select few people. That's what Paul is saying here. Like he, he loves every believer. He loves all the churches, all the churches that he's planted, right? But he, but he says, I'm holding the Philippians in my heart. He just shows just how much he actually truly cares, how close they, they actually are here. And continue, look at verse 8, what he says there. It says, verse 8, for God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you. That phrase for, for deeply miss could be translated long for, or, or it points to this strong desire for something. Paul usually uses this word when, he, when he's saying, I, how I long to see you. Like when he, when he writes to the Romans, he hasn't been to Rome yet. He hasn't been to see the believers in Rome. And he writes, how I long to see them. That's the same word here. But Paul has been with the Philippians. He's seen the Philippians multiple times, right? So it's not that he longs to see them. He's like, I, I, no, I actually do really miss you. I really miss you. Not if you've got some of those close friends in your life that maybe you haven't seen in a while. But man, when you see him, it's like, oh, this is so good. It's so refreshing. It's like, man... I didn't realize how much I missed you, right? Like we had this uh, last weekend with, with our, our former neighbors. So we, uh, this house that we previously lived in became really good friends with the people who live right next door to us. We were there for four years and built a really deep relationship. They were believers. He was a pastor. Uh, they had three kids. We had three kids, like just a lot in common. And, and we just really built this tight koinonia together. And then they moved away and then we moved to a different part. Now we're like on opposite sides of the county. And again, they're, they're both working. We're both working. We got three kids. Like we're all busy, right? Like everybody's busy. It's hard to connect. But we finally got together last weekend and we just spent the whole day together. And I was like, oh man, I miss you. Like, I missed being around you. I missed being with you. Like, that's, that's what Paul's saying here. Like, I'm, I miss my friends. I miss my close friends, and I want to be with you. Like, that's what, what he's telling them here. And then in verse 7, he, he says that he has the affection for them of Christ Jesus. How, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That, that word for affection is the Greek word splanknon, splanknon. And there's no reason for you to know that other than that's just a really fun word to say, right? Splanknon. Try to work that in your conversation later today just with somebody like, oh, splanknon. And they'll be like, what are you, what, huh? Did you sneeze? Bless you. I don't understand. Just work it in there. It'll be fun. It's just a fun word to say. But what it means, the literal translation, is your intestines. Your intestines. And it came to mean this, this idea, this concept for, for deep compassion, heartfelt compassion and love for somebody else. So maybe you can tell your spouse today, I splunk on you, I splunk on you, right? And you just have this deep compassion and love for them. Now, that's what Paul's saying here. 
Again, like we're just seeing how much he actually and truly cares for the Philippians, how, how much he loves them. And this kind of deep love that they have for one another, this is what has led to that partnership, that koinonia, that community that Paul has with the Philippians. It's all based on, it's all built off of this deep love and care for one another. And if, and if we're going to have the kind of community that God desires, that God calls us to have as a church, this is the kind of love we have to have for one another. This is the kind of love we have to have for one another. And it has to be, it has to be love for, for all. It has to be love for, for all those in our church, in our community. It can't just be the kind of love that we have for people that are like us, that agree with us, that have the same views as us or whatever. Like it can't just be that. That's easy to do. That's easy to love people that are like you, that like the same things, that agree with you all the time. That's easy to do. No, we got to have love for everybody. We got to have love for, for all. And, and Paul makes this point clear in these verses. There's something that, that stands out as we read this and, and reread it and reread it. There, there's a there's a little phrase that's repeated several times here in these verses, and it's, it's the phrase, all of you. All of you. And we see it a lot. We see it in verse 4. It says, always praying with joy for all of you. If you, if you underline or highlight things in your Bible, circle and, or underline whatever, the, the, the several times that that phrase appears just in these first few verses. So he says it in verse 4, joy for all of you. Verse 7, he uses it twice. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace. And then it does it again in verse 8. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you. Now here's the thing. When, when he's writing this, that word for all is, is really unnecessary. He doesn't have to use that word all because he uses the, the plural version of you. Here in the South, we use y'all, right? When we're, when we're talking a bunch of, a bunch of yous, we say y'all here. And that means everybody. If I were to say, hey, good to see y'all, I mean all of you, right? So if I were to say all of y'all, that's a bit unnecessary, a bit repetitive. But I'm trying to make a point when we say that, when we say all of y'all, and we do that sometimes, I've heard all of us say that. When we say all of y'all, we're saying, no, 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 really, every single one of you, every single person. And that's what Paul's doing here. And again, this is, this is repetitive and it's unnecessary. And that when we read our Bible, and this is why we go slowly, right? Like this is why we're slowing down and we're inching along through this book because we miss the depth. We miss some of these things when we quickly read through Scripture. When we just pass over things, we miss some of the richness that's here. This is why when we encourage you to read your Bible, like this is what we teach here, is, is to slow down, to read it slowly, to read it over and over and over again so that we notice these kind of repetitive phrases. Repetition is not by accident. When we repeat ourselves, we're, we're making an emphasis on something, and that's what Paul's doing here. He is emphasizing this idea of all. He loves everybody in that church. That's the kind of love that we're to have for one another. We are to love everyone this way. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Paul writes this about Christian love. It says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, 
is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Look, that, yes, that's a great passage for weddings, right? And we read that at weddings, and, and that's commendable. Spouses should love each other like this. But, but when Paul wrote this, he's writing to a church. And he's writing to a local church that had all sorts of issues. And one of their biggest problems is they were divided and fighting over silly things that did not matter. And in the midst of Paul calling this church to unity, he pauses in his letter and writes this about love. This is the kind of love that we are to have for one another. This is the kind of love that the church is to be marked by. A love that's not proud or self-centered. A love that, that bears with one another, puts up with one another despite our many annoyances, right? That, that forgives one another when we mess up. A love that doesn't divide but, but unites us. A love that doesn't just uh, abandon or, or quit on each other. A love that, that welcomes and brings people in. So when we talk about loving one another in the church, this is what we're talking about. This is the kind of love that we are to have for one another, and this is the kind of love that brings community, that brings this, this koinonia that we're called to have as a church, these deep relationships and connections with one another. It starts with love. We have to love one another first. So community begins with love. Number two, the second thing we see about community Community thrives through commitment to one another. Community thrives through commitment to one another. There's the second thing we learn about community here from Paul is that, that it, it requires commitment. So here, like we said in, in verse 7, there we go. Verse 7, he calls the Philippians partners. And I told you that this is a version of the word for koinonia, and it's, it's a specific version of koinonia that emphasizes this idea of, of doing something together with somebody else, that you're joining together with somebody to complete or pursue some goal or project or thing. It's a word that really carries this idea of, of commitment, and that's why it's translated as partners. Because if you're going to partner with somebody, if you're going to work with somebody to accomplish something, you got to be committed. And that person has to be committed. Like we've all been in groups, whether at work or back in our school days, where there was somebody in the group, in the project that was supposed to be doing something, and they just weren't. They weren't as committed. They weren't as involved. They come late. They, they, they leave early. You ask them to do something, and they don't do it. Like we've all had that experience working with people. And guess what happens when you work with somebody like that? It's frustrating. It's frustrating, right? You don't want to keep working with them. It's easier to just be like, look, just forget about it. You go do your own thing. I'm going to go finish this, and I'll, I'll take care of it, right? Like, we just, we don't want to have anything to do with that person. There's, there's, no, there's no partnership there. So when Paul says partnership, when he refers to the Philippians as his partner in grace, in ministry, this is what he's talking about, that they are committed to one another. They're committed to each other, and they're committed to pursuing and doing the same thing. This is exactly why Paul says they're partners. They are full partners in grace. That word for grace there points to Paul's ministry. That's what he's saying here. You are partners with me in ministry. And then he says that you're full partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What Paul's saying there is, is, is you're my partner in the good times and the bad times. 
The Philippians are committed to Paul and partnering with him and working with him in ministry and supporting him in ministry in the good times and in the bad. They were with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's preaching and people are getting saved and he's traveling all over and planting churches. Man, they're right there with him, supporting them, doing the work in Philippi that Paul left behind. Like they're, they're doing it, right? In the good times, the exciting times, the awesome times, they're right there. But now Paul's in prison and his ministry looks vastly different than it was when he was with the Philippians. And guess what? They're still with him. And we know from Paul's other letters that he writes at this time later on in life that that wasn't the case for everybody. That a lot of people that, that were with Paul in the good times deserted him in the bad times. That's not partnership. That's not commitment. That's not koinonia. Koinonia means that we are committed to each other in the good and in the bad. They were, they were with him fully, committed fully. And that's the thing about community. It thrives with that kind of commitment. It thrives with that level of commitment. Koinonia, biblical community, it is nourished in the soil of commitment. It's nourished in that. At our, at our house, um, when we moved in, uh, we had to put a fence in. You know, we got kids, and they like to run around in the backyard, and our two-year-old just wanders, right? Like, she'd just be, so, I don't know where she would be if we just let her in the backyard. Hey, go play. We get a call from the neighbors, like, hey, she's four houses down. I'm like, okay, I better go get her. Plus, we have this dog, and the dog is, is little and loves to run and loves to make new friends, and if she sees somebody, like, she's just off. So we had to put a fence in, and like, we just heard one of our neighbors, like, a fox attacked one of their little dogs. Like, that would be our dog. She's just tiny and looks like food for a fox. Now, the rest of the people in the family would miss her, and, you know, I'd be fine. But anyways, we had to put a fence in. So we had to put a fence in to keep our kids and our dog locked away in the backyard, right? So we, we put a fence in, and in order to do that, we had to take out some trees. Like, our, this, our, our yard was just kind of, like, overgrown with these unnecessary trees. Like, there's just too much. There's too much foliage going on back there. So we had to take out some trees in order to put the fence in, and then I had to take some little things out in order just to kind of clear up some space. So we did all that, and now there's just a ton of sunlight in our backyard, which is awesome. And the plants that we left behind are loving all that sunlight. But you know what else is loving the sunlight? The weeds. The weeds. And they are just like out of control in our yard. Like they weren't there when we initially moved in. But once we cleared everything out, man, it is like a forest of weeds in places in our backyard. And I'm not talking about like the little stuff that grows on the ground. Now these are like big weeds, like thick stalks that you can't just like, I, can, I use my weed eater sometimes to get these and like it breaks because these things are just so thick. So like the last time I did the yard, I was in the backyard just like hacking away with these like hedge clippers with these weeds. Like they're just all over the place. And I told her, I was like, why? I've never seen weeds like this. What is going on? She's like, it's all the sunlight, man. They, they love the sunlight. They love our soil. We got to figure something out because these things are just taking over. They're just massive. And that that's a picture for our, our commitment, the, the commitment that we have to one another will provide the sun, the fertile soil for this community to grow the way the Lord wants it to. Community thrives on commitment. It thrives on commitment. And if we're going to have these close relationships that we're called to have in the church, we have to be committed Right? Like, I'm not going to open myself up and be vulnerable and be open about my struggles and my sins and my weaknesses and all that stuff if you're not in. 
And you shouldn't do that for me if I'm not in, right? Like we need, if we're going to have close relationships with one another, we've got to have commitment. I got to know that you're in. You got to know that I'm in. Like that's how it works. That's how it works. I'm not going to be open if you're here sometimes and gone the next. Like it's just, if you're, if you're bouncing into my life and then you're bouncing out, like I, I got to know. I got to know that you're in, right? When we have these deep, close relationships with one another, it's because we know that person is just as committed as we are, that they're just as much in this as we are. We've got to have that. If we're going to have koinonia in the church, we've got to have that kind of commitment. And it's, it's simple. That, that kind of commitment just means being present. It's just being present and involved in each other's lives. And I think that's really what we mean when we say that we're, we want to do life together with other people. I think this is what we're talking about. I think we want people and we want to be people that are involved and present in one another's lives. In the good times and in the bad. Right? In, the, in the happy moments and the sad moments, in the weeping and in the rejoicing, in the best moments and the worst moments. Like we want people who are just there. And we need to be people who are just there and present and involved in each other's lives. That's what commitment means. That's what we're talking about here. And that's when relationships and, and community is going to grow. So how do we get to that level? How, how do we demonstrate that type of commitment? What does it mean to be present and involved with one another in, inside the church? Well, one, one way, one simple way, be here on Sundays. Being here for corporate worship is a huge way that we demonstrate commitment and community with one another. This is a vital aspect of what the church is supposed to be. This is what Acts 2, 42-47 says. This is, this is the very beginning of the church. It says this about the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. There's our koinonia word again. All things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So one of the first things we see that the early church committed and devoted themselves to was gathering together. Gathering together. And one of the ways they gathered together was in this, this formal, organized, corporate worship. This happens at the very first church. This is what it means when it says they gathered together at the temple. They were gathering at the temple to worship together as the people of God. And that continued on from every church that was started throughout the book of Acts, throughout the first century. They had a day during the week on Sunday, the Lord's Day, where they would gather together as the people of God, as the committed body of believers in that city for corporate worship. Y'all, this matters. Being here on Sunday is not a light thing. This is a big deal. And it should be important for us and our families. Like we should make this moment a priority for all of us to be here and to worship. This is what the church is, right? You take this away and we're just like any other parachurch Christian organization out there doing a whole bunch of really good things. But we're not the church. If we do not gather for corporate worship together week in and week out, we're not the church. We're something and maybe something really cool but we're not the church. This matters. This has to take priority. A New Testament Christian would have no concept for a believer that said they were a part of the church but never went to, to Sunday worship. Like they just, that would be a foreign concept and then they would have no idea what to do with us. Like, I don't understand what are you talking about. This matters. This is a big deal. This is the first way that we show commitment. Another way, connecting community groups. 
connecting community groups. So we see the church gathered together in these early days. They gathered together corporately, and they gathered together informally. They, they broke bread, had meals together in each other's homes throughout the week. They were getting together. So we do that here with what we call community groups, the small groups, right? We, we try to break it up from what we do on Sundays, and now during the week we want to gather together and be with one another in relationship and, and help disciple each other and pray for one another and encourage each other, hold each other accountable, like all of those things. We can't do all of that on Sunday, or we can't do it all well, right? It's too much going on, too many things happening. But we can do that in smaller groups with one another where we can build and deepen these relationships with each other. So we gather together formally for worship, and we gather together informally in each other's homes. So get connected to community groups. If you're not connected, get connected. So important, so vital for us as believers. We need that in our lives. We need each other involved in our lives, right? Committed to one another. And this is how we show that. I, I get it. We're all busy, all right? I understand that. I get it. I'm just busy too. We're, we all got things going on. So is it a sacrifice? Yes, but it is a worthwhile sacrifice. It matters. It's a big deal. So again, this is how we show our commitment. And then another way that we see the early church is they served each other. They served each other. When they got together, when they were with the church, they were with the people, they served. When they found out there was a need in the community, man, they, they met that need. They served one another. That's why, that's why we ask you to serve on Sundays. We invite you to serve because it, 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 it allows us to partner together in the work of ministry. It allows us another way to commit to one another. And here's what serving does is it, it makes my commitment focused on somebody else other than me. I think so often we can come in on a Sunday in a church and it just be all about me. What are you going to do for me? Is the coffee warm? You got a seat for me? Is the music good? Is the preaching good? What, what are you going to do for me? Is the kids' ministry good? We're just focused on, on me. Are you, are you doing things the way that I want you to do? Is your, is your worship the way that I think it should be done? And we just have this me-centered attitude about the church. When we serve, it gets our eyes off of, of ourselves and what we want and, and on to others and what they need. That's why we serve. It helps our love and our commitment to one another be focused on one another and not just myself. So this is why we serve. Community thrives through commitment. If we are going to have a, a biblical community, a, a koinonia, the way that scripture calls us to and invites us to, we got to be committed. We got to be committed to one another. We got to be here on Sundays. We got to be in each other's lives during the week. And we got to serve one another. Demonstrate our love through serving and meeting each other's needs. All right. So those are first two aspects we see about community is love for one another, commitment to one another, and then number 3, number 3 our last point we'll end here. Community multiplies through mission with one another. Community multiplies through mission with one another. This is the last aspect that we see about community with, with Paul and Philippians here. And I love the, the language that, that he uses when he talks about their commitment to one another, when he talks about their community, when he talks about this idea of koinonia, he, he centers it on the gospel. He says in verse 5 that they, are, they have this partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, they are partners with him in grace, both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This was a community that was on mission together. Their community was focused on the gospel, on living out the mission of God to go and be his witnesses, to go and make disciples of all nations. This was a community that was devoted to the mission of God, devoted to the gospel. And here's the thing about biblical community. True biblical community 
will always result in mission. Let me say that again. True biblical community will always result in mission. That's one of the ways that we will know that we have the type of community, the type of koinonia that we are called to, is that we will be a community on mission, committed to, to the mission of God, to spreading the gospel, to making disciples of all nations. This is what we're called to do. I mean, look again at, at, at verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to this early church. Verse 47, they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And then it says this at the end. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And this is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. The way God saves people, the way he accomplishes his worldwide mission of making disciples of all nations is through the local church. It's through the local church. That's God's plan for missions. That's God's plan for local and global missions. It's not mission organizations. Are those awesome? Yes, praise God for all the mission organizations out there that send out and support missionaries. But that wasn't necessarily God's intention. Is he using this? Yes, absolutely using those things. But his main purpose and, and, and goal with worldwide missions is to accomplish that through the local church. It's through the local church. Again, this is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. You can read through the book of Acts. We did this for a year. We spent a year in the book of Acts. You can go back and listen to the sermons if you want to. But we see this not, not just in Acts 2.47, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, 11.21, I go on and on and on about all the different ways that God says he adds believers to the church. He adds new believers, Christians, and he does it through the evangelistic efforts of the local church. This is God's design, this is God's intention, and this is always the result of true biblical community. We are to be a community on mission. See, without a focus on mission, without a focus on, on reaching people and, and welcoming people in, we, we become closed off, we become insulated. So we go from, uh, we become then in, in that way when we, when we don't focus on mission, we don't have this idea of, of devoted to the mission of God, to reaching new people in the name of Jesus and the gospel. What we do is, is we become a, a locked gate instead of an open door. Or we become a, a no trespassing sign instead of a, a welcome mat. The church is to be an open door. The church is to be a, a, a come in. Come, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Come in, welcoming in, bringing people in. This is to be a, a welcoming place. And by God's grace, this church is a welcoming church. I'll just commend you guys as, as committed members here at Haynes Creek. Like, this church is a welcoming church. We have grown into a very welcoming church from what I've seen. And that's awesome. Praise God for that. That wasn't always the case. But I think it is now. And now we've got to take, continue to take these next steps in, in actively inviting others in, in, vac in, active, in actively reaching out with the gospel to those in our community, in our lives that don't know Jesus and inviting them in. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Three ways, and we'll, we'll end here. Three ways that we can be actively reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. One, real simple, just be intentional. Be intentional. Build relationships with the people in your lives, your neighbors, your coworkers, those people that you see regularly out in the community. Intentionally build relationships with people. Get to know other people. 
And just with that, like, just, just be out, right? Like, be out. Don't be one of those people that you, you pull up to your house, you open the garage door, you pull in, then you close the garage door, and then you get out of your car. Don't be those people. Like, that's, that's not who we're supposed to be. Uh, be. If you've got little kids, be outside with your kids. Walk around the neighborhood. Walk around the community. Play outside. Keep your garage door open and invite others in. Just, just make yourselves open to, to, to meeting new people, to building new relationships for the sake of the gospel. And when you meet new people, invite them in, right? Bring them in. Invite them over for lunch, for the game, whatever it is. Whatever you're doing, just invite people along, right? So, again, doing life together. That, that's what that means. When we say that, that, that should be what we're talking about. We're inviting other people into our lives. We're bringing other people in. Be routine, right? Like, we are creatures of habit, right? All of us, and even the least routine people or the people that push against that, we still have routines. So as you go through your routines, you're going to start to notice that, you know, when I go shopping at the grocery store at this place at this time, I tend to see the same people, same workers, same people there. When we go to the park on Saturdays at whatever at this park, probably you're going to see some of the same people if you do it over and over again. Pay attention to those things. Again, be open to the Lord bringing new people into your lives, expanding your circle. So be intentional. And then take a risk. Take a risk. Invite somebody to church. Invite somebody to community group. Invite somebody over for dinner to talk about Jesus, to talk about what they believe and why and get to know people at that kind of level. Is that a risk? Yes. Is it awkward? Sure, it's awkward. Is it weird sometimes? Yes. Are you going to kind of fumble through that and be like, I don't know what I just said? Yeah, sometimes, but it's okay. It's okay. Take a risk. Take a risk. And then the last thing is just see what God does. So when you make that invite, when you ask somebody to come, when you invite somebody in, they might say no. Nothing might happen. But something might happen. Something might happen. That person might need 100 invites before they say yes to church, and you might be number 100. You have no idea. Maybe you're number 53, and you're just helping them along the way, right? We have no idea how God is working in somebody's life. So let's not assume that they're not interested. Let's not assume that they will just reject it and laugh at us and never talk to us again. That might happen, sure. Probably the worst thing that's going to happen. So is that really all that bad? No. It's a little awkward. It's a little weird. Might be a little weird next time you bump into them, but it's okay. It's okay. So take a risk and see what God does. And look, again, nothing might happen. We might invite a million people to this church, and they'll all say no. And this church will never grow beyond what it is. That might happen. I have no idea. It's in the Lord's hands. But if that's what's happened, if that's what's going to happen, let it not be because of our disobedience, because of our refusal to step in and take a risk and invite somebody in. Let's be active, and let's see what God does. True community is a community on mission. We're to be a people of God dedicated to the mission of God. That's the church, y'all. That's the church. So as we build this community, as we as we grow closer and tighter together, Lord willing, let's, let's not become insulated. Let's not close the doors. Let's not lock the gate, but let's be open and welcome others in. And ultimately, all of this comes down, really, what we're talking about here. It comes down to this last phrase in verse 8, and I want to read it again because I think it's, it's packed with theological significance, and, and it's this, Paul writes it, how deeply I miss you all with the affection of Christ Jesus the affection of Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying there with those few words is that he loves the Philippians like Jesus loves the Philippians. He has the same heart, the same love 
as Jesus. And that's really what community is. It's loving people and treating people like Jesus. It's seeing one another through the eyes of Jesus. It's having the affection of Jesus. And like, how does Jesus love us? Jesus loves us despite our sin and our mistakes and our failures and our mess-ups and our really bad days, right? He continues to love us. He loves us so much that, that he left heaven to come and give his life for us on the cross, sacrificed his life for us, even though we were sinners, even though we were far from God, Jesus gave his life for us, and it was all because of how much he loves us. So Jesus loves us sacrificially. He, his love welcomes in, right? Jesus brings people in. That's what we see all throughout his ministry. People that everybody would have said, oh, they're far from God. There's those, those sinners. And Jesus brings them in and radically changes their lives. And it's all because of love. His love serves us. His love forgives us. His love gives us grace and grace and grace and grace. His love never leaves us, never forsakes us, never departs from us, never abandons us. That's Jesus' love, and that's the kind of love that we're to have for one another. That's how we're going to have the koinonia, the community that Jesus calls us to. So we have the affection of Jesus Christ. We have the, the love of Jesus. So let's, let's commit to love like that. Let's commit to be the community of Jesus here and for and with one another. Let me pray for us and we're, we'll uh, continue in, in our worship. And as we pray, we're gonna do what we do every single Sunday and that's have communion and that word for communion comes from this idea of community, comes from this idea of koinonia. It's one of the words that we use in Scripture when we talk about the Lord's Supper, when we talk about the Lord's table. It's communion with God. It's having this moment where we sit in worship and praise and in gratitude. We sit in the presence with our Savior. That's what happens at the table. I know it's just a simple act of eating, of, you know, basically a styrofoam wafer and some juice. I get it. It's not the taste. It's not what we're actually eating or drinking. It, it, it's the act of what we're doing. We are communing with Jesus. We are being with our Savior in that moment. Let's savor that church. So I encourage you, as we do every single Sunday, let's just sit and be with Jesus for a minute. For as long as we need, let, let's prepare our hearts. We need to pray. Maybe you're seeing, Lord, may, I haven't had the type of love for one another here. I haven't had the type of commitment here that I need to, and, and Jesus is inviting you in to take some deeper steps here. Maybe we just need to spend some time in prayer thinking and, and dwelling on that or, or repenting or, or maybe just praising God for the gift that is the church, the gift that is communion with him. I don't know where you're at. But just spend some time with your Savior. Spend some time with Jesus. And as you get ready, as you're prepared, we go to the tables, we eat and we drink and we, we sit and we worship and we sing and we praise our good God and Savior. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done, Lord. And I thank you for the community that you've given us with you. Lord, that you, when you save us, Lord, you bring us into this eternal communion that you've had with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity. And you welcome us into that, Lord. So I thank you for the community that, that you have with us. I thank you for the love that you have 
for us, Lord, and, and would we carry that into this community, into this church, Lord? Would we love like you? Would we see one another through your eyes? Would we see this community through your eyes, Lord? Would we, would we love, would we commit, Lord, and would we be devoted to mission, to your mission for this church, Lord? Would we not become insulated? Would we not become closed off, Lord? We'd be a church that, that is welcoming and that also actively welcomes people in Jesus. Lord, would you use this community, this little group of believers, Lord, would you use us in a mighty and powerful way to reach those that are far from you, to reach those that do not know you, to expand this community through the gospel, Lord? Would you do that? So Jesus, we love you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor today. In your name we pray.